And that life hack was the pits. <laughs> Guacamole pits. No, anyway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Calvary. Glad you're here. Um, I want to open us up by praying for our Nicaragua team that is coming, uh, headed to Nicaragua this week to drill a well and to go with them. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for um, sending us and calling us as a church to go out. We do pray for this team that's about to go out. God, we pray for safety for them. But God, more importantly, that you would use them to glorify your name. Um, God, help them as they take clean water to also be able to talk about the living water and the truth of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. We've been doing a 30-day uh, series on the names of Jesus and the I Ams and, and royally walking through that in the book of John. And, and I hope that you've drawn closer to God through that. Um, the point of that was so that you know more about Jesus. And as you know more about Jesus, then you're able to live that out more. And so what we're trying to do in this next series is this idea of life hack, this idea of trying to give you a simple application to live out the characteristics of God that you find in. Now, a life hack is a way to do something easier, but our definition of life hack is not just a way to do something easier because following Christ isn't always easy. Our definition is this. It's a way to follow Jesus that is not a cure-all or an easier way, but rather a simple way to apply the characteristics of Christ in our life. And our goal this next month is that you really are able to apply that to your life. And so in other words, it's a way to cut out the noise of this world in order to maintain our focus on a living, on living a life to the fullest for Christ. Now we're going to start with a life hack on relationships. Because who doesn't want to talk about relationships? It's the month of February. Woo! Y'all are very excited today. Yay! Okay, so we're going to do that. Next week, we're actually going to talk about um, the life hack of relationship in marriage. But this is more of the broad scope of relationships. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Because when I think of 1 Corinthians 13, I think of relationships. It's the, cap- the chapter often referred to as the love chapter. And you have to say it like that. Love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 says this. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love. I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, this is a remarkable passage, a remarkable few verses, because it's talking about the other characteristics of what you should find in a church. You should find prophecy. You should find people speaking God's word. You should find us doing good acts. But basically, basically, this passage says, if you don't do it in love, what are you doing? Yeah, nothing. You're doing nothing. You're accomplishing nothing. And, and love should be not only how we are known, but how the church is known. In fact, John 13, 35 says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Think about that. Now, let me ask you this question. This is rhetorical. You don't have to say it out loud. Just think about it. I want you to think, because we have people from all different backgrounds. We have people who have grown up in church their whole life. We have people that this may be your first Sunday to be in a church in years, if ever. And we're glad you're here. But I want you to think, because you probably have an idea of what the church is and what the church isn't. I want you to think real quick to yourself, has the church always been known as loving? And what I would say is, 
if the church isn't always known as loving, let me ask you this question, because I think you are to be a part of the church. And the church is only going to be known as its weakest link. So are you loving? Say, that becomes a personal question, Daniel. And, and I want to be loving, but how do I know if I'm loving, right? How do I really know if I'm doing and living this life of love? Well, Paul addresses that in verses 4 through 6. And I want to just brace yourself. This is a, a, a thick list. This is a hard list. This is an overwhelming list. And none of us are going to be able to do it very good. So let's look in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6. It says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. Does not act improperly. It is not selfish. It is not provoked. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Wow. Now, when I read that list, there's about 10 characteristics there of what love is and what love is not. Okay? I sit there and I think, okay, if, if you were to ask, if I were to ask you, if you have been able to live that list without fail since the time you were born, and I would ask you to raise your hand if you could do that, if you raised your hand, I would outright call you a liar. <laughs> because you haven't been able to do that. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if we were to look at that list and ask you, and you were to get real personal with yourself, if you could raise your hand, if you've kept everything on that list for the past Weak, you would probably go, eh, not so much. So I want us to look at this today. This is, this is what love is not. We just read these. I want to cover these real quick. Love is not envious or jealous. Love is not boastful or a bragger. Love is not conceited. It doesn't act improperly. It is not selfish. It's not provoked. And it, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> Awkward. Okay, so that's the negative list. Let's not dwell too much on that. Let's instead talk about what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. And it rejoices in the truth. In other words, celebrates what God is doing and has done in our life. And, and that's a great thing to understand. That's a great thing for us to grasp because that's what we should strive to be. And, and so all of these things are great characteristics of what a loving church should be. In fact, I want you to realize the difficulty and the struggle of this, okay? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth saying, this is how you know if you are loving, okay? Have you ever noticed the Corinthians is the longest letter that Paul writes? The reason is, they were a hot mess. They were a big problem. They were a struggle bus. They were all of those things. They were not, they did not have their act together. And he was sitting there going, you're having all these problems. You're having all these difficulties. You're having all these. I want you to see that you're not very loving. And so we look at these, and I've heard great sermons on these verses. And, and if you've heard a great sermon on, I'm not knocking that at all. But if you look at these, you can go through the seven negatives. You can go through the three positives. And I've heard great sermons on all of those. But I read something this last week that changed the way I viewed this passage. Okay? I, and I want to share it with you. I think it's a life hack to know how to love. Okay? Because what I want you to see in, in these, three, in these uh, three verses, these ten characteristics of what love is— and love is not, it asks us to recognize if whether or not we have love in our life, okay? And so what I want us to do, I'm going to share the verb with you, and I want you to act out the verb that I'm about to read to you, okay? So on the count of three, I want you to act it out. Here's the verb. 
love is. You all are, that's great. <laughs> You're doing it. You are ising, right? And so let me have a little confession time with you all. We're actually recording this at a later service to go out and podcast because my grammar was so bad in the last service. I was embarrassed by myself. I'm not very good with grammar. And sometimes I have to go back and realize I'm messing up in grammar. And so I, I, I actually do work on it. And sometimes you lovingly come, some of you not so lovingly come up and tell me how my grammar is poor. And I get that, okay? I am working on it. I'm a Texan. And that's not an excuse. But I learned the English language when I went to seminary and took Greek. And what I learned is I learned how to divide sentences and recognize the subject and the verb and the direct object. And some of you are like, you learned that? Well, I learned it earlier, but I didn't, didn't sink in. Does that make sense? It sunk in when I went to seminary. And so what I would realize is in these three verses that I just read, there is a noun. And that noun is love. Love. And then the verb is is. And then there's direct objects, Right? So what you got to understand is, he, these are nouns, but I think that love is a verb. And when love is a verb, if you don't know what a verb is, <laughs> there's some kids in the room, so I'm going to explain to you. A verb is an action, something that you can do, because all the adults always know what a verb is, right? It's something you do. It's something you act upon. In other words, it's the way you live. So I think the way that we actually live out love is found in these three ver- two verses I'm about to read. Verses 7 and 8, it says this. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. Now, the key there is all things. All things. In other words, it can always happen. It can always be applied. In other words, we as people who are followers who follow Jesus, followers who try to help others follow Jesus, when we do these things, we should always do them. So let's go through them and find our actions. And I'm going to give you little sub um, life hacks as we go along for each one of these if you're struggling with one. The first one, love bears all things. Now, when I think of the word bears, I think of, ah, bear, right? In fact, when I was a little kid, I had the same problem. I used to think that I didn't want to be a ring bearer because I didn't want to have to wear the bear costume. True story. It's not talking about the animal here. Some of you will get that later. It's okay. It's not talking about the animal here. It's talking about bears all things. So the definition of bears is protects, covers up, takes upon oneself the burden of others willingly and without hesitation. How you doing? Because this really is the ideal of what it means to be a Christian. It means I'm going to love you and I'm going to take your burden upon myself. I'm going to do this willingly and without hesitation. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. This idea of sacrifice, this idea of I love you and I'm willing to take and carry and live your life out. Now here's why we struggle with this. Because the word love in our language means so many different things. In fact, the Greek has three different words. Some of you are going to know this and some of you it may be new. So I'm going to catch you all up, okay? The Greek actually has three words that we translate to mean the word love. Okay, the first one is the word eros, or as Reggie would say, eros, because he's from Georgia. And so the word eros, though, is the where we get the word erotic. Now, I'm not going to go that direction with it, because let me explain to you what that word means in our language. Let me give you an example. I love pizza. 
Anybody else love pizza? I love pizza. It's okay. Raise your hands. Yeah, I got a few. You love pizza. Some of you are like, I don't want to admit it. My wife's sitting next to me. I love pizza. And if you say, I love pizza, what you're really saying is that my kids, when they were younger, would have said, do you want to marry pizza? <laughs> yes, I want to marry the pepperonis and all. It's not saying I want to marry pizza. That's silly, right? What it's saying is pizza is a desire I have. And eros is filling a desire that you have without the benefit of the one that you're desiring. In other words, pizza is the losing end of that stick if you eat it, right? So Eros love is when you use another person for to meet your desires without caring about what they think or feel about. And that's a dangerous place to be. The second level of love is phileo. Phileo, city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, go Eagles. Anyways, there's this idea of brotherly love, right? And brotherly love is this idea of I'm going to love you as long as you love me. Band of brothers. We're in this tried and true. We're going to, I got your back and, and we're good and, and love me and I'll love you until the time comes when you don't love me. The problem is phileo love is not the level of love that really this, this verse is talking about. In fact, the King James translates to charity. I, I don't really like the definition of charity because it has its faults, but what it's saying is it's charity is the idea of giving yourself away. And so the word agape here is the word which means unconditional giving yourself away. When it says it, love bears all things, agape bears all things, it's not this idea of if you return it. It's not the idea of, well, those people I like. It's saying, I will love you because you're you. Period. Now, we all want to receive that, right? But are you willing to give it? I think there's a real big problem we have in this world today and that we want to receive love and the way we try to receive it is to achieve it. And by that achieving, I mean, we sit there and we think if I have enough prestige, people will love me. Well, no, they're going to love your prestige. If I have enough money, I, I can get what I want in this world when you might, and that might satisfy the eros in you. If I can only do this, that, or that, I can find fulfillment. I can find satisfaction. I can, and Irwin McManus describes it like this. We long in this culture for influence because we think if we have influence, people will respect and love and, and give us, even in the church, we long to be the, the respected pastor. We long for the accolades of saying, you are the best baby rocker at the nursery. We long for people to go, you are the best person in the parking lot waving. And we long for this achievement. We long for someone to say, Say you are good enough. We long for influence. So much that we long for influence and we don't even realize that it's not for the purpose that we think it is. We run for political office thinking if I could just get in office, I could change the world and make it like it should be. Instead of really understanding what we are called to do as Christians is to not long for influence but we are called to long for compassion. 
And the life hack to develop a burden for the world, to carry the burden, is to develop compassion in your life. Compassion for who? Yes. Some of us have great compassion for people who look like us and talk like us. But we don't have compassion for the world. Some of us even have compassion for the homeless guy, but then we don't have compassion for the rich because, well, they should know better. Some of us have compassion for the wealthy, although we would never admit it out loud, but don't have compassion for the homeless. They should go get a job. The Bible says they will know us by our love. And if we are to bear all things, it means that we will have compassion because you and I were made in the image of God. And as we bear all things, then we get to understand what it means to believe all things. It doesn't mean, now this is where we get confused because we think believe all things means naivety. Or is that, a, I probably said that wrong. Somebody can tell me later. That we're naive. This idea of believing all things is this place that we think, okay, if, if I do this, then I'm going to get walked over. But Psalms 146.3 shows that just the opposite. It says, do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. It doesn't mean you go blindly letting people walk over you. It doesn't mean that you allow people to, to say this is what you should believe and do. In fact, we trust in God. We trust in who he is, his sovereignty, his majesty, his glory. We trust in, in everything about him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and that everything that we believe in is that. But what it does mean is we look into the heart of humanity and we trust wholeheartedly that God has made them in the image of God. Who? Yes. Who? Everyone. And we trust and we rely wholeheartedly that somewhere underneath this, Christ's great love for mankind has enabled him to see the possibilities in that person's lives that may even be beyond our eyes, but are never beyond his. And we believe that there's good in all people, when we believe that there's something in there, then what ends up happening is that person begins to be a flower that blooms and we get to see this person grow into the relationship that they need to be. Now, here's why the life hack uh, is applied in this idea of belief. If you aren't loving people as you should, in other words, you don't believe that people can be made in this way, then you need to practice repentance. Repentance is turning away from the way you're living and turning into the way God wants you to live, which is saying, okay, no matter their socioeconomic status, no matter their skin color, no matter their education background, their political party, I will love them. Love sometimes means you say the hard things, right? If you raise kids, sometimes you say the right thing, hard things, but you will love them. And I'm wondering this morning if there's anything in your heart, if there's anybody in your mind that you can come to mind that you're just sitting there going, I'm so mad at them. And what you do is you're blocking the love in your life and it's breeding a contempt of bitterness in your heart that's robbing you from experiencing life to the fullest. Your lack of love for other people is damaging and destroying what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And you need to repent. 
See, after we bear all things, we want to protect and cover. Then we begin to believe all things. We get to see. And you know what amazing thing happens is when we believe in people, then they start to believe in us. And that's just the benefit. It's not why we do it. But sometimes it requires us to believe even though we don't. Have you ever sit there and thought, I'm going to pray for this person, but I don't really expect them to change? That's where we have to have hope. You see, love bears all things, it believes all things, and hopes all things. And the definition of hope is expecting the best even when you can't see it. Even when you can't see it. So if belief is the flower that blooms, hope is the seed that you plant. Hope is the belief that God, even though I can't see it now or fathom how this will grow into something beautiful, that God will water and God will nurture. And out of the ground, God can make something amazing for his glory and his renown. And I've talked with many people, and, and I know there's people in this room. I've talked with some of you, and I've talked with people in the other services. And you sit there and you go, I'm struggling because so-and-so is struggling. And, and we care for people, and we have compassion on people, and we have angst in our heart over the decisions people make. And I would encourage you, do not give up hope. Because God is still working. It doesn't mean life will turn out the way you think it will work. It doesn't mean you're ignorant. It doesn't mean you enable a person. Y'all know what I mean by that? But it means you will love them. You will love them because God loves them. And that's hard. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming when 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for our momentary and light affliction. Now Paul is writing this at a time when the church is being persecuted. And I'm not talking like someone talked bad about them on Facebook, right? They were persecuted. And he says our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hope is not seen, but has root in us, and it will grow. And God says it will produce fruit. At least in the life to come. So what's the life hack to have hope? How do you have hope when you don't feel like it? This is the easiest one to tell you. Prayer. How do you have hope? You pray. You pray for. You pray for hope for yourself. You pray for those who are going through the struggles. You pray for the the troubles, the trials, the tribulations. You pray believing that God can do something good. Because if God could take Moses, who is a murderer, and make him as a deliverer of God's people. If he could take Rahab, who is a prostitute, and make him in the lineage of Jesus. If he could take Paul, who was also a murderer, and make him the great author of the New Testament book, including the one we're reading. If he could take David, who is an adulterer, and call him a man after God's heart. If he could take Thomas, who is a doubter, and say, this is a disciple then surely he can take you and use you for his glory. And he can take the people that you're praying for and they can turn their life around. I can't promise you because God gives us the choice and he gives them the choice, but God is not done and we are to have hope. 
So what happens and how do we have hope? Because we can have hope for today. That, that would be a great place to wrap it up. But then tomorrow happens and that's where it goes. Okay, we not only have to bear all things. We not only have to believe all things. We not only have to, you know, uh, have hope in all things. But it says we have to endure. That's not the fun one. And can I be really vulnerable with you this morning? This is where we fail as the church the quickest and the most. We love everybody for a week. Hey, your life's a mess. Great. I know Jesus. Come in. Wait, you didn't get it in a week. Well, get out of here. Right? Hey, I, I, I really want to be, you're going through a difficult time. Let me pray with you for two days. And then we move on. That's not endurance. Endurance is saying, I will be with you. And the definition of endurance is to hold one's ground. When I think of hold one's ground, I, I, I get my fists up, you know. Okay, I'm ready to defend this ground. Come at me, you know. But really what it's saying there is to hold one's ground in love. Then no matter what you go through, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to condone all your behaviors. I'm not going to sit there and I'm going to tell you when there's truth. I'm going to tell you when there's grace. But I'm going to love you. You can't stop me from loving you. I might have to kick you out of my house, but I'm going to love you. You know what I'm saying? And when someone feels that kind of love in the good times and in the bad times, when someone feels like someone cares about me no matter what I do, then that is the unconditional love that God asks us to practice as the church. And we have to endure. So how do I do that? Because you gave, you gave me the life hacks, Daniel. I, I, I heard them. You know, we went through all the life hacks. You, you know, we said we have to compassion. And then you said we need to repent. And then you had to pray. And you, there's supposed to be a life hack for this idea of endurance. So what is it? You ready for this? Focus on the cross. You know why? Because God loved you enough to send Jesus. And when I look at what Jesus did on the cross, he was pierced and broken and his blood was poured out. When I look at what he did, I, it wasn't conditional. It wasn't I had to earn it. It wasn't the accolades. It was there, Jesus who died on the cross did that because he loved a red-headed Texan who doesn't always have great grammar, who now lives in the heartland of the Hoosier state. Mind-blowing. I sit there and I go, God, how can I love someone else? And he's sitting there whispering, the same way I've always loved you. And let's be really honest this morning. Part of the reason that we don't love the people like we should is because we don't really accept God's love for us like we should. So child, son or daughter, you were made in the image of God and you are loved. There is nothing you could have done in your past. There is no place you could have run. There is no sin too great other than blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is coming and saying, I renounce Jesus, right? There's nothing you could have done that would not allow you to be loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have hope that God can bring you back. I believe and have faith that God wants to do it when you repent and come back to him and when you chase after the heart of God, when you pray and have compassion and you receive what God has done for you, then child, you are loved. 
And then an amazing thing happens when you begin to receive that love. Followers share what they, and when you know you are loved, guess what you get to share? Love. And the reason we don't love is because we lose our eyes off Jesus and we long for the accolades of other people instead of really basking in the glory of what Jesus did through the cross. So if you've never received Jesus today, what I mean by that is you have a relationship realizing that he loved you. I want you to accept his love. Just simply say, Jesus I don't even necessarily know exactly what this totally means, but I want to start following you. But I got to warn you, you can't say that and then not follow him or it doesn't mean anything. And we want to walk you through that. So if you go by the next step space out there and grab Drew's hand, or if your lady will have a lady out there and grab them by the hand and say, I, I want to know this right now. To everyone else in the room, here's what I would ask us to do to be known as a church of love. And the way we do that is our Monday morning application. We choose to lead with love. <laughs> what do you mean lead with love? I mean, we're going to practice compassion, bearing each other's burdens. We're going to practice repentance and forgiveness, asking God to forgive us when we don't love like we should. We're not going to hold grudges. We're not going to leave here bitter at anyone else. We are going to continue to do the things that produces hope. We're going to pray for the people, and then we're going to focus on the cross. And every time we feel like giving up, we're going to be reminded that Jesus, well, he paid it all for us. And that we owe our lives to him. And we're going to pick ourselves up and feel his arms wrap around us. And we're going to keep loving because that's what a church should do. It's not just a life hack. It's life. So God, I thank you for the call to love. And I ask that we would do that well. That we would live a life for you. That we would live a life reflecting you. And God, we pray for our sister churches that are in town. That we would love them well and that they would be places of love. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for every church around this globe that those who claim to be followers of Jesus would love well. Not being walked over or naive, but be willing to have the hard conversation and still show compassion and truth. Be willing to walk people through their mess as you walk us through ours. God, may we receive your love and then share it with the world around us. It is in your holy and wonderful name we pray that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim. Amen.